Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of Finding Genius Foundation. I have Oded Nier. He's a lab director of the Nier Water Lab. He works on water treatment and resource recovery. Uh, he's Nier, Nier Water Lab is part of the Zuckerberg Institute for Water Research, uh, located in the, the Negev Desert in Israel. So we're going to talk about his work there. So, Oded, thank you for coming. Hi, uh, Jacob. Thank you for uh, having me. Thank you for, for uh, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. No, oh, no problem. Well, tell me a bit about your background. How did you get into water treatment and desalination? Yes, so I uh, enrolled into environmental engineering in the Technion Israel. That's an engineering degree that deals with finding solutions, like practical solutions to uh, environmental issues. And uh, after that, I remained uh, in, the, in the Technion, that's the Israel Institute of Technology, for my uh, master and uh, PhD degree. The envi in environmental engineering, it deals with uh, all, all types of uh, pollution and natural resources. So it deals with uh, air pollution, um, uh, waste, uh, solid waste, and uh, also water. And uh, I, I was drawn to this uh, field of uh, water and uh, water treatment because uh, water are everywhere and uh, so essential to, uh, to our lives. And also, of course, in Israel, we had uh, issues with uh, water scarcity. So uh, as a kid, I was, I saw with my own eyes how, you know, once full lakes and creeks go dry. So it, it was a topic that found easy to connect to. So what uh, projects are you focused on now? Are you dealing with water desalinization or what are your focuses right now? My lab is fairly big now, like relatively to, uh, let's say, other uh, in, in the Institute. So th there are more than one topic. And, but I can say that the main themes are improving the, the sustainability of, of water treatment uh, processes like desalination. And uh, also the recovery of uh, valuable resources like uh, nutrients from the same streams that we are treating in. So now 
when we are facing this era of um, climate change and transition to a circular economy, we try not only to treat the water to remove all the pollutants, but also to uh, uh, try to recover valuable resources from this water. So th this, these are the, the types of things that, that I'm focusing now. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of specific uh, projects that we can uh, get into. Okay, well, with Uya, what are you trying to recover from water? Is it wastewater from homes or, you know, what are your feedstock sources? And then what are you trying to recover? Yeah, so for example, first of all, of course, we're trying to recover water. So for example, large part of uh, the research uh, I do is done on uh, the topic of, of wastewater reuse. So um, when wastewater are treated in uh, wastewater treatment plants, you get an effluent and uh, this effluent, it, it's a lot of water that usually, it, not in Israel, but in, in, in other countries, it's just emitted back to, uh, to nature, to lakes or to the sea or to, to rivers. And uh, this, this is, these are purified water, but we want to reuse them. And uh, in Israel, there is a very large scale reuse in, uh, in effluent water for, uh, for agriculture, but the water quality is still not good enough, meaning that there is still some, there is still some contaminants that we learn more and more about them as, um, as uh, time goes by that we need to remove in order to have a sustainable reuse of this water. Uh, right now, it's not sustainable. It might be bad for, for our health or bad, uh, bad to the ecological systems, uh, bad to the soil. And uh, these contaminants are, for example, uh, the nutrients. So by nutrients, I'm referring mainly to, to phosphorus and nitrogen. Yeah, but, but not only that, uh, there is also things we call emerging organic contaminants. So uh, molecules like... Uh, uh, PFAS, which is industrial chemicals that are very, very durable in the environment and uh, they're hard to remove, which are bad for ecological systems and uh, also bad for human health. Also, there's a lot of uh, traces of uh, medications in um, uh, wastewater, uh, treated wastewater, wastewater effluents. So this stuff we want to remove and, and uh, destroy if possible, but things like phosphorus and nitrogen, we want to recover. Right? We want to somehow extract from the effluent and, and use it. The main use for it is use it as fertilizer. Okay, so these nutrients are actually can be used as fertilizers. So this is some, uh, something that we are uh, heavily invested in our lab to develop methods, both to make effluent treatment more advanced, more sustainable, and also to recover, recover the nutrient from, from the effluent and from the wastewater in this uh, spirit of uh, circular economy. It makes sense. Um, so the nitrogen, I'm sorry, the phosphorus and the potassium are the highest level contaminants in the waste stream. Like which, which ones are worth it most to remove for economic reasons? And then which ones are most important to remove for health reasons? Yeah, it's a good question. We, we should uh, maybe, maybe start with... Uh, so for, for uh, economic, so both are not that much uh, detrimental to health. And nitrogen, perhaps more, depending on its on its uh, form, because nitrogen can come in all kind of forms. Uh, it can be 
uh, as uh, ammonia, ammonium, or uh, nitrate. Each form has its own uh, toxicity, but uh, the main issue here with, with nutrients is the damage to the environment. So if, if for example, a wastewater treatment plant uh, releases the water to the lake and phosphorus and nitrogen are not uh, sufficiently removed. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Then it will cause algal bloom. Uh, and there, th- this problem is, is uh, widespread. I know that uh, it's, it's a huge problem in the U.S. now, for example. So th- th- this, is the, this is the problem with phosphorus and nitrogen. Uh, potassium is, let's say, so in terms, potassium is not detrimental to health at all. And, and there's no problem with this element uh, releasing it to the environment in general but it's a valuable nutrient or fertilizer. So in terms of economics, that's a good question because this, here, here there is a distinction uh, between phosphorus and nitrogen. So uh, phosphorus is the, the element that is more economically, uh, and in terms of sustainability, it's more critical to find ways to recover from, uh, from wastewater, from wastewater effluent, also from uh, solid waste like uh, animal manure and, and sewage sludge, it's all uh, very rich with phosphorus and it's, it's very critical for the future of, uh, of, of, of mankind, uh, for food security, to recover, to find ways to recover phosphorus uh, because... Well, I, I know in, in Israel, I mean, I would think you have to rely on desalinization for a lot of water. So why, and, and since the since this water has a lot of phosphorus and potassium, why not keep it and use it to irrigate fields? You know, maybe take out some of the dangerous components if there are any. But it would be great for the fields. You know, it would be a supply of water which is needed. So you don't need desalination, and there's there's nutrients in it. You know, add a little bit of nitrogen, and you're good to go. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is a great question, and uh, and and it's also the view, or or was the view of some uh, of some experts, um, and and it's also reflected in the regulations, by the way, of of water that you can irrigate uh, the fields with. This water permits some level of of phosphorus and nitrogen, but not not too high level. So you have to remember that uh, you know irrigation. Irrigation with with phosphorus and nitrogen, you can easily uh, apply fertilizer in excess. For example, when uh, the plants are small and uh, and don't need a lot of fertilizers, or when the plants are developed or not uh, not in a growth uh, season, and you still irrigate. So that's when uh, nutrients can uh, can leach to to groundwater or to uh, other streams. 
and uh, and cause this um, nutrient pollution that uh, we were afraid of. But I have uh, another vision, uh, and the vision is that we don't use the water only for irrigation, because what happens in Israel now is that, uh, yeah, very, very, very uh, a large portion of this treated wastewater effluent goes to irrigation, but and very little water goes to, for example, for nature, for uh, reviving Israel's uh, dry streams. Some, some of the effluent is collected in uh, like uh, recreational lakes uh, for public uh, enjoyment, uh, let's say. But problem is that uh, this water are not clean enough. For example, people cannot swim in this. So what is the point of having a lake in a very, very hot place, like a region like Israel, if, if you cannot swim. So my vision say that what if we could use this uh, wastewater or the, the effluent, both for uh, lakes and streams, and then after that, you know, collect the water and use it, use it again for irrigation. But for that, for that, we will need to, uh, to, to uh, meet the water quality standards both for releasing them to nature uh, and, and maybe for swimming and for irrigation. So these are different quality standards and uh, it, it can be, and, and we, we, we study this, we study technologies that can achieve this, uh, this water quality. And for, I mean, for if, um, if, um, yeah. if this water has a lot of phosphorus and potassium, mm-hmm. why not use it again? If, if you're going to do hydroponics or you know, even in fields, nutrients are, are put into the fields, nutrients are put into hydroponic water. So why not first use it for that? And then the effluent from that maybe can be used to lake, you know, for lakes and streams and things like that, because the nutrients will be more depleted. So you can let the plants do the work of reducing even more of those nutrients and then take it to somewhere else. It seems backwards to first put it into lakes and streams and then use it for irrigation after that. You know, why not use the minerals that are in there, the nutrients? Yeah, it's, it's good you mentioned uh, aquaponics. Aquaponics require very uh, a high degree of, if, if you do it in large scale and if you do it like properly, it requires high degree of accuracy. And, and also the intensive agriculture we have in Israel, you know, greenhouse agriculture, it requires uh, accuracy in terms of uh, when you apply the fertilizer exactly how much fertilizer you you uh, you apply and you know water water that comes in from from wastewater treatment plant the the composition and the amount of nutrient is is not is not constant so sometimes it's better to have you know the the, the clean ingredient and take out the mineral take out the fertilizers uh, recover them as fertilizer and then uh, you know, the farmer can mix them using the best practices that he knows, but I'm not ruling out that um, in some applications, it can also make sense to, uh, to irrigate with, with water that are all already rich uh, nutrients. So a lot of uh, these uh, things are, you know, complementary. Maybe some places you can use it for agriculture and then, and then take it to the field. In general, if you use it for agriculture, it, it can pick up all kinds of uh, bacteria and other things and maybe more fertilizer because there's always, it's always in excess. That's why usually you will not 
take the water after agriculture. Also, also water in agriculture, you never have, or almost never, at least in Israel, in, in, in arid areas, you don't have access. You know, once you irrigate the, the, the field, then, then the water is, uh, is gone. So in that way, in, in, in that sense, it um, makes more sense to use the water first uh, for a stream or for a lake. How hard is it to take out phosphorus and potassium? What's the process to do it? Like, how do you precipitate it out or get it out? So we uh, we're looking uh, uh, we're looking on uh, at uh, several solutions. Also, I believe that one solution isn't enough, and every every place or or, or every scenario we need, you know, an array of solutions that we can tailor the solutions for each. You know, for each location, uh, there's no one solution that fits everything. But what we're doing is we use highly selective uh, separation processes. Uh, for example, to take out phosphorus from uh, from effluent, from wastewater effluent. Uh, effluent is the water that is all already treated, and and what what I mean by treated, it means that uh, it's relatively clean. Uh, Almost all the organic matter is uh, was was eaten by the bacteria that treats the water, and now a phosphorus and, uh, and and some nitrogen is left in the water. So, in in one uh, in one approach we're examining, we first uh, absorb these uh, these nutrients on selective adsorbents or or ion exchange uh, uh, resins and. After that, in, in, the, in the exit from this ion exchange or adsorbent, these are placed in uh, columns. So in the exit of the columns, you get water that are uh, depleted from these nutrients. And once column reach the full capacity for phosphorus or nitrogen, we uh, regenerate it with uh, another solution. Uh, so we, we use uh, strong base caustic soda and then we get a solution that is rich in those nutrients. Uh, so it's now highly concentrated. Maybe it could be uh, 500 more concentrated, for example, compared to what, what you have in the effluent. And this is still not the fertilizer solution. Now we, we need another process to separate these nutrients from the, the caustic. And for that, we use innovative membrane processes okay so membranes are also used for desalination but in this case we use processes different processes than the process that is used for desalination okay? we, we use different types of membranes and the different types of uh, of membrane separation technologies and then after we apply this we get concentrated and pure fertilizer solution then that can be applied in fertigation. Okay, fertigation is, is, is when you apply the fertilizer with the irrigation water. It's, it's a common practice in, um, in, in intensive agriculture. I mean, with, with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, I would think the cost of fertilizer would, you know, is going to go way higher. So it may be worth it to extract it from this wastewater. You know, in the near future, it may be a lot more worth it because the cost is probably going to go up quite a bit. So it might be something to look at and pay a lot of attention to. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the cost, 
the cost of phosphorus, uh, saying this because of the, the uh, increase in energy uh, costs? Yeah, just the availability of fertilizer is, is going to be impacted, you know, and then getting it to you. So if you have a, um, a fertilizer-rich wastewater, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be more worth it to recapture it. If the costs go up, I mean, you know, I'm yeah. just making this up, but if like potassium, or sorry, um, yeah, phosphorus is like a, a dollar a pound. Phosphorus. I have no idea. And, but if it goes up to, you know, $3 a pound, maybe it's worth it for you to recover it from these waste streams because now it's more expensive. We mentioned what is the environmental uh, like benefits of, of recovering uh, phosphorus and nitrogen. Uh, so it's, so it's, it's different. So n- nitrogen, for example, we get it from, from air, basically. So in air, it's uh, N2. It's a very stable molecule. But with an industrial process, you can get this N2. N2 is not a fertilizer because it's very slowly taken up by plants. But the industrial process, the Haber-Bosch process, can take this nitrogen N2 from air and transform it to ammonia. And the ammonia is the fertilizer. Basically, from ammonia, you, know, you can make nitrate and then ammonium nitrate. And that is the fertilizer. But the problem is that it's energy intensive. Uh, it means that uh, you, 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 need, you need to invest a lot of energy. And I think about 1% of global or, or even 3% of global energy consumption is for producing ammonia for fertilizer. So if we can, if we can uh, find um, a, a method to recover nitrogen from uh, wastewater that doesn't take this much energy, then, uh, then, then it will be worthwhile. Yeah, especially in light of uh, energy prices that can go up. What's more, this, this uh, chemical reaction, uh, uh, converting nitrogen to ammonia, it needs hydrogen. And the hydrogen is coming from natural gas. They, they make this nitrogen from natural gas. And, and right. now they're natural gas crisis because of this. Uh, because of the Russia war, uh, 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 Russia-Ukraine war. So this is where, uh, yeah, I really see um, a connection. Yeah, again, if you have a nutrient-rich effluent, it's going to be worth a lot more now to separate. So the economics may have changed enough where it'll be favorable to do that. So it's something to consider and look into, you know? Yeah, and a lot of people uh, look into it and try to do it. There's uh, some... Uh, Offer the, some some propose to produce ammonium, produce ammonia, or produce fertilizer from waste in the farm, from waste in the farm. So there, there's an, a recovery directly from uh, from urine, for example. There is a lot of solutions. I work on effluent, uh, on, on wastewater effluent for now, but yeah, I can also work on on other uh, streams in the future and. The membrane process we used for, for this, something interesting, uh, we use a gas permeable membrane. It's a membrane that can, that, that, that can transfer only, only gases through it. So if you take water with ammonia, the form of nitrogen that, that is in effluent, and you raises the water pH, then it becomes ammonia. And ammonia is a dissolved gas. And then we can use this membrane to transfer this gas to a stream that contains acid. And the ammonia 
react with this acid and then we get ammonium salt and and that is basically a fertilizer okay so so this is how we produce uh this is how we recover ammonia from, uh, from wastewater effluent but I guess phosphorus is even a, a more interesting a more interesting story should i talk about uh, to recover phosphorus yeah definitely yeah i know the the common nutrients are npk hydrogen phosphorus potassium we haven't really yeah. talked about potassium i don't know if it's even in the effluent but yeah let's talk about uh, phosphorus first. yeah potassium yeah we, we can just just mention potassium potassium is in the effluent in uh, in concentrations that can be can be meaningful potassium is much harder to selectively separate um comparing to phosphorus and nitrogen it's very similar potassium is very similar to sodium and uh sodium is just something that you don't want in in the irrigation water so it's very hard to separate these two but potassium for now it's relatively cheap and there is a lot from it it's it's mined from places uh, from great salt lakes and brines in israel we have a you know very big industry of uh, mining uh, potassium and right now it's not in shortage but phosphorus phosphorus is a real limited uh, resource phosphorus is mined as a phosphate rock and that's that's where most of the fertilizer is now uh, is is coming so this phosphate rock exists in only several countries several regions uh, 70% of it is in uh, uh, morocco us has mines in in florida for example uh, israel also have a uh, uh, phosphate rock mine so we mine this phosphate rock and then we we apply the you know industrial process and make phosphoric acid and the phosphoric acid is used to make to make fertilizers uh, to make npk fertilizers you add phosphoric acid mm. um but but uh, this phosphate rock reservoirs are getting depleted i mean we don't have unlimited amount of phos- of phosphorus and there's several assessments of when we're going to reach a phosphorus peak or phosphate rock peak production it means that after it there's going to be a, a decline due to price is too high or maybe some political uh, unrest or something like that that can happen even in a few decades so phosphorus is something that we must learn how to recover because right now it's most of it is wasted it's it's ended up in uh, sediments uh, very very dispersed in the environment or in sea or in the sea uh, so um this uh, this is a very important resource to uh, to recover and also something that will potentially be of uh, high mm. um so uh, any uh, future projects or current projects that you think you're going to achieve a breakthrough on in in the next year or two like what do you what do you think will be happening with your research and your work in the near future what are you uh, trying to figure out yes yeah, so um if we stay in the in the phosphorus um uh, issue so mm. now phosphorus interestingly phosphorus is also becoming important in batteries so i don't know i don't know if uh, you heard uh, in uh, electric uh, cars that are also very important for uh, uh, for climate change for the fighting climate change uh 
uh, now a trend to replace the uh, lithium uh, cobalt nickel batteries to batteries that are that use much cheaper still lithium but lithium uh, with iron and phosphorus it's called the lithium iron phosphate battery mm-hmm. and it, it has many advantages so uh, all the electric cars uh, you know all the electric uh, vehicles uh, manufacturers slowly transitioning into these types of batteries i know china is uh, uh, completely there i think tesla is also now focused on these batteries it it has less energy density so you will not get uh, you know uh, three seconds from uh, uh, one uh, one uh, zero to 100 uh, miles per hour but uh, it will last more like more cycles and it's much safer it will not uh, burn uh, as easily so you need phosphorus for this so uh, we're, we're trying to initiate a project that will take phosphorus from wastewater and bring it to a, such a purity degree that it can use for it can be used for the battery industry and um, this is important you know if, if you want to To make something uh, to make something real or to have your your process to uh, succeed in uh, real life you you have to have a good market for it and and the fertilizer market you you don't have much of uh, profit margins uh, let's say but uh, mm. I think for uh, for batteries you can you you know you have to overcome some uh, um, market barriers you have to you have you, you need it to be very profitable in order to even initiate the uh, the project you know to overcome all the costs of development for example and this can be this can happen in in this battery and and if if by this if by thanks to this requirement of phosphorus in the battery we can push these technologies for recovering phosphorus then maybe uh, you know uh, it will also It, will, it can also be more widespread for fertilizers. Oh, one, one last question I forgot to ask you. With all the wastewater effluent, like how much is there approximately? How many you know, millions of gallons? And if you were able to extract phosphorus out of it and nitrogen, what is the theoretical yield that could come you know, on a weekly or a monthly basis from all the effluent streams if this was to be done? Well, I don't have this uh, these numbers here. Uh, this is something that uh, analysis were made. I don't personally do this like a global scale or, or country scale analysis, but I can tell you that most of the most of the recover recoverable phosphorus and nitrogen is not from from domestic wastewater wastewater effluent. This will be probably about 10 to 20 percent. Of, of what you can recover. Most of it is in the solid waste or, or uh, uh, most of it is in the animal waste. This is where, this is where we should um, uh, invest a lot to recover phosphorus. I focus now on effluent because I also want to treat the effluent so the water won't pollute the environment and cause uh, uh, algae bloom, for example. So that's why we, we have to we have to remove phosphorus from the effluent and if we remove it we might as well recover it but the uh, larger contribution for like say for phosphorus economy 
it will come from uh, animal manure and, and maybe also sewage sludge, but yeah, mostly animal manure. But I'm partnering other colleagues that, that work on that and combining the separation processes that I do with their methods to extract the phosphorus from, uh, uh, from uh, animal manure. I think we can take phosphorus from there and, and bring it to, uh, to a level of purity that is required for uh, ferric phosphate batteries. That, that will be a, yeah. a very nice breakthrough that um, I, I would very, like, very much like to, to achieve in the next uh, year or two. Yeah. You need to become the phosphorus king where you can extract <laughs> it from effluent and manure and all that. And again, you'll be the biggest uh, phosphorus deliverer in, in all of Israel. <laughs> yeah, there's a competition because the ICL, the, the Israel Chemical Company, is producing a lot of phosphorus from from phosphate rock, and uh, I hope I can convince them to re- to to replace some of them, some of uh, their activity, uh, instead of taking it from nature, taking it from uh, from waste. Yeah, that's Okay. Well, Oded, it was very good to talk to you. Where can people find out more about your work? Where can they go? So uh, we have a website for the lab. It's uh, nearwaterlab.com. So this is a good starting point. And step from that, uh, the university website and the department website of uh, Zuckerberg uh, Institute for uh, Water Research. Yeah, that's about, uh, that's about it. There, there's a link for uh, all the papers and the activities. I know it's late night for you but I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. I uh, enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Yeah, I'll see you when you come visit. Excellent. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.